0: Welcome, and thanks for checking out the Living Word Family Church Sermon Podcast. Before we get to the message, we'd like to invite you to check out Living Word Family Church if you don't already have a church home. For more information, you can check out our website at livingwordfamily.org. Before I get started, yes, the rumors are true. Your pastor is a movie star. You know, most of you know they've been filming a movie in downtown St. Joe. They wrapped up yesterday, I think last night, they they filmed the last scene they're filming in St. Joe. Now they're off to North Dakota or somewhere. But they put out a call for extras, and my daughter, who works at the coffee shop where they're filming a lot of this stuff, wanted to do it, so I signed her up, and they put out a call, I don't know, a week or so ago, but it was on a Sunday, so she couldn't do it. And then they put out a call the other night... And uh, said they would use people who haven't been used yet. So I was the first to respond. And I said, Rainy will be there. And then I told Rainy. And Rainy said, I don't want to do it. <laughs> and I told her, I I'm going to twist your arm. But I said, I, you know, I think you'll regret it. If you don't, you know, you'll you be thinking, oh, I had a chance to. Yeah, you know, It's just background stuff, but just kind of fun. But I gave her the night's sleep on it, and she ch- wouldn't change her mind, so I apologized and said, if, if that puts you in a bind, if you need a warm body, my wife can come down there, or I can come down there and stand in the background. And I said, My wife is more beautiful, but at six foot four, 260 plus pounds, I have a more commanding screen presence. <laughs> and she got right back to me and said, We actually need men for this scene, so come on down. So I, if you watch this movie, watch it closely, and for about a second and a half, you will see. Christmas tree salesman in the background. So okay. if I don't wind up on the cutting room floor, I'll have about a second and a half of screen presence. Uh, and then, check this out. They, I got the call back. I got the call back. They sent me a message yesterday saying, we want to film one more scene with the Christmas tree salesman at night. So if you can come down at 830, that'd be great. Wear the same hat and the same coat. You know, you've got to dress. This is taking place in North Dakota, 10 below zero. So we're out there in 35-degree weather, and I got this big fur hat on and a big coat, and pack boots. So I go down there in my fur, fur hat and coat and pack boots, and I'm waiting and waiting. I wait two hours, two hours, 15 minutes, and the assistant director comes in and says, Sorry, we're not going to film that scene. We ran out of time. The scene we were shooting with the little boy on the bike took too long. We can only go 12 hours a day. We're already 15 minutes over. We're going to get in trouble with the union, so I have no big deal. I wasn't mad about not being in the movie. I was mad that I sat there for two hours waiting to be in the movie. And then the director grabs me on the way way out and told me what the scene was going to be. And then I got mad that I wasn't in the movie because it was an actual scene. No dialogue, but the camera pans away from the little boy on his bike and turns around to see Christmas tree salesman selling the last Christmas tree to a guy and his dog who had also been waiting for two hours. And it's like, wow it was a shot at fame and it's gone Spielberg would have been on the phone with this guy saying get me that Christmas tree salesman (sighs) wasn't to be apparently anyway enough of that nonsense Uh, yes amen you can open your Bibles to Luke chapter 10 I'm going to do a little bit of follow up from Sunday I left something important out Uh, we had a lot to say about the devil on Sunday get that message if you weren't here and uh, we spent some time discussing the origins of Satan. Where did he come from? Uh, has he always been the devil? Um, and we identified particularly, uh, you know, it just flat out says it. In Revelation, it talks about the dragon in at least three different passages. And uh, in, one, in one section, in, uh, it talks about the, the dragon... Uh, his tail sweeping away a third of the angels in heaven, uh, the stars in heaven. And this is representative of the dragon and it being uh, Satan and the stars being a third of the angels. And then it gets more explicit in another uh, passage where Michael and his angels fought the dragon and his angels and they were cast out of heaven and there was no longer found a place for them. And so we see this picture of Satan being cast down from heaven. But when we meet him, he's already on the earth, right, in Genesis chapter 3. And he's not just already on the earth, he's already the devil. So we're trying to figure out when this is described in Revelation. Because before that, we're seeing this imagery of the woman giving birth. And here's, a, here's Jesus, here's Israel, and all this. And then we see this battle in the heavens. So this, what it's describing in Revelation chapter 12, is this something that has taken place yet or not? Uh, because when you read it, it looks like this is the big rebellion it's talking about. Satan and his angels were cast down to earth at the beginning of creation. Uh, and they've been here ever since. But I think that's describing a future battle. We're not going to look at the Revelation passage tonight. But we, we also looked at what some people consider a parallel passage. In Luke chapter 10, we'll begin in verse 17. This is after the 70 have been sent out to do ministry. And they came back in verse 17, Luke 10:17, And the 70 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Now, is this Jesus remembering that scene we just read in Revelation, or we just talked about in Revelation? Is he remembering, and whether the Revelation is a separate deal or not, is when Jesus said that, is he simply saying, yeah, that's because he's been cast down. I was there, I saw it. I saw when Satan was cast out of heaven, when Lucifer rebelled and was defeated by Michael and his angels and God expelled them all from heaven. I saw that. And then goes on to say some other things. But I think the key to understanding what Jesus is really saying is in reading what everything in chapter 10 that goes before that. When he sends them out to do ministry. So let's read it in Luke chapter 10 beginning in verse 1. After these things, the Lord appointed 70 others also and sent them two by two before his face into every city and place where he himself was about to go. Then he said to them, the harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I send you out as lambs among wolves. Carry neither money bag, knapsack, nor sandals. And greet no one along the road. Uh, we're not. There's only so much of this stuff we can apply directly, but I will explain that. Greet no one along the road sounds awfully rude, but there was a in in that time in that place, greeting was a ritual. It wasn't something. It doesn't mean don't say hi. It means you don't enter into this whole get to know your ritual where you exchange all this stuff and information, and all it means, all that verse really means is emphasizing the urgency of the mission. You don't have time to stop and chit-chat just for the sake of chit-chat, all right? Now, uh, but whatever house you enter, first say, peace to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest on it. If not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking such things as they give, for the laborer is worthy of his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whatever city you enter, and they receive you, eat such things as are set before you, and heal the sick there, and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But whatever city you enter, and they do not receive you, Go out into its streets and say, the very dust of your city which clings to us, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near you. But I say to you that it will be more tolerable for that day, it will be more tolerable in that day for Sodom than for that city. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon at the judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, who are exalted to heaven, will be brought down to Hades. He who hears you hears me. He who rejects you rejects me. And he who rejects me rejects him who sent me. Now, Again, when we talk about the work that we're called to do, if we're going to obey Jesus, does it mean quitting our job and going on a walking tour without taking anything with us? No luggage, no change of shoes, no change of clothes, no money, and just trust that God's going to provide a place for us to stay while we proclaim the kingdom of of heaven has come to you. Uh, This was a specific mission for these guys at this time and place. In general, what I believe we can apply is that we have indeed received a commission from Christ to go into all the world and preach the gospel. Do you agree with that? That wherever we go, that is our baseline mission. Whatever else we do, whether we're called to pulpit ministry or, or uh, any other, uh, I guess, titled ministry, a fivefold ministry, every one of us in here are ministers of the gospel. To the world, and everywhere we go, this is what we was talking about. Don't greet anybody along the way. Uh, again, it's not a matter of being rude, but every friend you make, every acquaintance you make, uh, there ought to be something in the back of your mind all the time, looking for an opening to introduce Christ into the conversation. If somebody has a conversation with you every day for a week, and by the end of the week, they don't even know you're a Christian, something went wrong. And I'm not saying, uh, I'm not saying if by the end of the week, you haven't given them the opportunity to reject Christ, if you haven't asked them to pray the sinner's prayer with you, but they certainly ought to know you're a believer. Okay? Okay? Because this is what our mission is always about. We are proclaiming the kingdom of God. Now, some would say things like this. Well, we are to establish the kingdom of God. Jesus said that we would do the works that he did. And what did he do? He taught. So what do we do? We go into poor areas and we build schools. So that they can be taught. Jesus healed. So what do we do? We build hospitals and clinics. Now Christians, and I say, I mean the church, the church at large, absolutely should be a philanthropic people. But we cannot reduce the gospel to philanthropy. There's so much more to it. Jesus said, if they reject you, they are rejecting the king of glory. And we can say, well, the main thing is, we built a hospital, we dug a well, we built some schools, so at least their life is better. This is not the mission of the disciples that he sent out. They weren't sent into these cities to make life better for the inhabitants of these cities. They were to prepare them for the coming of Jesus. When we talk about a kingdom, uh, you know, the, the Bible tells us very clearly who the ruler of this world is, the ruler, the king, uh, the God of this world. Those are all names for the devil. And we know that, you know, the same Bible tells us that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. So it's not that the devil owns the globe, the land, but he is the king of this world's system. In 2 in Corinthians, I don't know, chapter 2, chapter 4, somewhere in there, where it talks about him being the ruler of the, of the world, depending on which uh, version you are reading, which translation, uh, some say the ruler of this age. That Greek word is aion, A-I-E-O-N. Uh, the ruler of this age. And it's broadly interpreted not just as this moment, but actually this system, this way of this, the God of this, uh, of, of, the, of the worldly way of thinking. And uh, Jesus is saying uh, there's a new kingdom. Even though Satan was currently the God of this world, Jesus is there to establish his lordship over this world's system. So, the mission, again, as the disciples went out, was not to improve the lives and the quality of life of the people they were ministering to, it was to proclaim. There's a new sheriff in town, new king, new kingdom, and he is going to fix it. He's going to fix everything. Now, there are three possible responses. There's at least three possible responses from the people who hear. One is, wonderful. That's good news. They recognize the gospel as what it is. It's good news, wonderful. How's he going to fix it? Tell me more. These are the people who are inviting the disciples into their homes, taking care of them while they share the gospel. Another response might be this. We don't need God. We can fix it. Anything that's wrong in this society, we can fix, and we don't need God to tell us how to do it. There, you know, there's a whole, uh, this is the, the whole humanist manifesto kind of boiled down, is we don't need an outside source for our morality. We know poverty is bad, and so we are going to bring in We'll try this economic system. We'll try that economic system. And, of course, the flavor of the day here is socialism. That's what everybody seems to be jumping on the bandwagon for because it's going to lift so many people out of poverty. And, and, uh, but we just we don't need God. And there's finally others who will say this. He's here to fix what? There's nothing wrong. I don't need fixed. Now, How they respond depends on a lot of things. And we have talked, I have talked, it's one of my favorite messages. When when Peter writes, keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles. Uh, Because as as they observe your behavior, they will glorify God in the day of judgment. We've talked a lot about the responsibility that we have as believers in being good representatives of the kingdom of God. We don't want to be the reason somebody rejects our message. We don't want to be the reason somebody rejects the message of another minister. We've all heard the stories, you know, well, I, 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 I can't walk into a church because every Christian I know is a hypocrite. Now, I know that a lot of people, a lot of people, Maybe even the majority are using that as an excuse not to come face to face with the word, not to come face to face with, uh, with a decision like that. But you got a you know, famous quote by Gandhi. There's a long version and a short version. The short version is I like your Christ, I don't like your Christians. I don't. And every time I quote Gandhi, you know, the long version I actually like better. I've, uh, I've read the Bible. I've studied the life of Jesus and found him to be a fascinating man. I might perhaps have become a Christian had I never met one. It's a great quote. It's a convicting quote. But there's two people I do not want to be on Judgment Day. One is I don't want to be the Christian that put that picture of Christianity in, in Gandhi's mind. The other person I don't want to be is Gandhi. Standing before Jesus with that as my excuse. Okay. Because here's where it is. We, we can talk and we need to take it seriously. You and I have a responsibility to preach the gospel and to live the gospel. Yeah. If we live it, our preaching will be more effective. Yeah. All right? But here, at this moment, Jesus is putting a great deal of responsibility on the hearer. He's trusting that the disciples are going to go out there and do what he tells them to do. And therefore, if they don't hear them or receive them, it's because they decide not to. It's because they've rejected the kingdom. Why was such a great responsibility placed on the hearer? Because Jesus didn't just tell them to go and preach. He told them to heal the sick. And so when they're rejecting the message, they're rejecting the power behind what were going to be obvious miracles. And they didn't just heal the sick. As you know, they cast out demons. We'll come back to to where we started here in a minute. We read a similar account, uh, very similar. In this case, he's just sending out the 12. Back in Matthew chapter 10. I hope I wrote that scripture down right. I think it's chapter 10. I didn't double-check it before I gave it to John. Uh, but yeah, beginning in verse 5, these 12 Jesus sent out, I'm in Matthew ten five. these 12 Jesus sent out and commanded them saying, do not go into the way of the Gentiles and do not enter a city of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost, lost of the house of Israel. And as you go, preach, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons. Freely you have received freely give, and then goes on to give instructions, very much like what he gave the 70 in Luke chapter 10. So, what does this mean for us? We need to step it up, church. How many dead people you raise this week? How many demons you cast out? How many sick you heal? How many lepers you cleanse this week? It is these things aren't exclusive. Don't, don't hear me saying something I'm not saying. Let me make this clear. This is a church that believes. I believe. I've, been, I've believed this pretty firmly since I was 14 or so, that God wants you holy. I don't think there's a Christian in the world that would disagree with that, but I believe he also wants you healthy. I believe he also wants to prosper us. I don't think he wants, I don't think it's his, because remember, going back to a couple Sundays ago, God is the perfect father. And perfect fathers don't want their children, ideally, to just squeak by in life. We want them to have an abundance, don't we? God wants it more than, he wants that for us more than we want it for our kids. So God wants us healthy. God wants us prosperous. And I believe that those things, just those two things, Divine healing and divine prosperity can be part of the light that we shine that is going to draw the unbeliever in. This was exactly the plan for Israel in the Old Testament. I'm going to bless you, and I'm going to bless you so abundantly and so obviously that the surrounding nations are going to be drawn to you. They are going to want what you have. And it doesn't have to be physical health. Doesn't have to be money in the bank. It can be our peace, our happiness. But the fact is that we are going through life with our needs met, satisfied greatly, and people say, I need something in my life that you have. Can you tell me what it is that's different about you? That's wonderful when that happens. But it's not enough. We are not going to save the world by being healthy and wealthy. Do you understand? We have to preach the kingdom and we have to heal the sick, cast out demons, raise the dead. We need to start again, restart, and I think we need to kick ourselves in the butt every now and then just to remind ourselves what we're supposed to be about, that that raise our expectations for the miraculous, right? In here and out there. Don't be afraid to pray for somebody. God brings you across the path of somebody, whether it's somebody you just met or somebody you've known, would you offer, I'd like to pray for you and I believe God's going to heal you. Back to Luke chapter 10. So he says all that. Winds up saying, he who hears you hears me, he rejects you reject, rejects me, and he who rejects me rejects him who sent me. Verse 17. Then the 70 returned with joy, saying, Lord... Even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. He's not talking about way back in the past when God kicked Satan out of heaven. He could be saying one of two things here. He could be saying, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Or in other words, I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. I believe what he's saying is this. I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. When did he see that? When the disciples were out there casting out demons and discovering that the demons were subject to them. I just saw the beginning of the fall of the king of this world. The kingdom, there's a new sheriff in town. There's a new king in town, and that means the old king has fallen. And it's happening like this. Go into those cities. Heal the sick. And I believe you can include the things that he says in, in Mark as well. Raise the dead. Cleanse the lepers. Or Matthew. Cast out demons. And he sends them, and as soon as he does, they go and start doing it. And the kingdom of Satan is crumbling. He had just ushered in the kingdom. He hadn't even been to the cross yet. Just with his words and his, the power that he could just delegate to his disciples, they were able to manifestly Bring about the fall of the kingdom in little steps, in little towns. And then Jesus goes to the cross. He goes to the grave. He comes out of the grave, goes back to the Father, and gives us the Holy Spirit and tells us, go and do the works that I do and greater works. That kingdom has been in operation for 2,000 years now. And it's had great moments in history. It's had low moments in history. But God's authority, the authority of Jesus Christ, has never been in doubt. It's not like, whoa, whoa, is he going to lose this thing? He's already a defeated foe. That was done once and for all at the cross. Now, I know there have been some frustrating things. There have been some frustrating battles. You know, when I heard uh, that, that Nancy's going in for an, another round, you know, I can only imagine what that's like when you, you know, you've been through this already a couple times, and then, oh, got some bad blood work. Like, oh. How many times does that happen before it knocks the wind out of you? You thought, oh, man, I thought I had it this time. I thought I was healed. My favorite part of, the, of what Pastor Mike shared is she's in great spirits. It's a fighting spirit. That's what Keith Moore calls that. He's got a, he's got a message Maybe even a series called The Fighting Spirit. And what do we do? Where's our victory? It's in thanking God. Thanks be to God who always gives us the victory. Thanks be to God who always causes us to triumph in Christ Jesus. Now, do I want to see these victories and triumphs take place in a little more punctuated fashion? Do I want to see more of the instantaneous stuff? I absolutely do. But I remain convinced that there are some people in this room and in this church who aren't here tonight who are suffering with certain conditions, with certain circumstances, that God is not behind. God, our loving Father, wants better for us grasp that we talked about that a couple weeks ago too that's the first step in receiving anything from god is just being convinced that he wants it for you really wants it for you more than you want it for yourself but that's really where the frustration can set in if we're not careful well i want it he wants it why don't i have it this enemy who's been defeated he still exists He's still fighting. He's going down, but he's going down kicking and screaming. And he will try so hard to deceive us. And I've seen people lose battles. I get it. We can't stop fighting. We can't stop believing. We can't stop speaking, healing, prosperity, and blessing over ourselves, our families, and one another. We can't. If we're, if we're just going to come here, well, I just need to get to church once or tw- maybe twice a week just to feel good, to go out there into the world and let it beat me up some more. I'm, I'm, I'm tired of fighting. If you're tired of fighting, go somewhere else to church because this is, gonna, this is a fighting church. This is a believing church. This is a praying church. We're going to continue to confess, believe, and expect the things that Jesus told us to do and believe and see and expect. Are you with me on that? Stand up with me while I share something with you. and We're going to pray together for Dad. Uh, Talked to him today and uh, uh, found out through Lisa I've got permission to, to share this. And I don't have a lot of details. Um, and I haven't given you a health update on him in a while. And I don't have, again, I don't have details. I don't know what the uh, doctors have said, if anything. I don't know the last time a doctor has seen him. But uh, where, uh, where we left things last time, maybe, is you know, that he still has a number of uh, places in his body where there are tumors. Some of them are very small. Uh, what the doctor said when they were contemplating doing another surgery on his arm, uh, the, the, the uh, surgeon up, up north wanted to know, well, why, how many surgeries are we going to do? He's had cancer for a while. I don't want to do this. This is a pretty involved surgery if he's only got a few months to live. And his cancer doctor down here says there's nothing life-threatening about the cancer he has. It's bad, but it's not in his organs or anything, Okay. But, you know, they did a full body scan. They found small ones in his joints. He's still got another one in his arm. There was one in his rib cage. There was one in his uh, uh, hip, right? Or pelvis or something. In knees and ankles. Uh, so, and of course, he's still in bed. Now, what has developed is this spot on his ribs has grown into what looks like, again, I don't think this has been officially diagnosed, but there's a visible growth there. Pretty sizable one. Uh, and it's... Because of its size, it's kind of constricting his uh, his ability, restricting his ability to breathe and eat. You know, he can only eat so much before he starts to feel that pressure there, so it's uncomfortable. And uh, obviously, you know, you see something like that. It's not what you want to see when you're fighting this battle. But for those and anybody who's been out to visit him knows this. uh, He's still in great spirits talking to him on the phone it wasn't like oh Scott you're not gonna believe this like I haven't suffered enough now I've got this big ugly lump on my rib cage nothing like that it was just he called to talk about church business and hey I'm gonna do this I called this person what do you think about this is all right if I do this oh and by the way just so you know (laughs) oh okay be praying He's praying. He's believing. His confession is where it's supposed to be. I believe. I'm not around him 24-7. But I love his energy. I love his outlook. And, you know, it's just this. How do you, what if we, what if we, what if we you know, we, I think we've talked about this one time before. Let's don't pretend, you know, that, that it hasn't crossed your mind. What if we lose this battle? Is this the one battle we can't lose? Come on. Now, it's like, oh, Scott, you just broke the, now, now he's going to die for sure, because now you're contemplating, you're contemplating failure. That's not how this works, okay? We are in this fight together. Do I believe, and well, I mean, do you believe? Do you believe it's God's will for Larry Millis to be stretched out on that bed? No. Do you believe, honestly believe, never mind what you've seen or what you think is going to happen, do you believe it's God's will that he is up and strong and walking and cancer-free? Amen. I do. So here's the, here's the, the $100,000 question. Does anything ever happen in this world against God's will? Yes. Yes. It sounds like a trick question. Well, he's God, so if it happens, it must be his will. No! We're not Calvinists here. Because at the end of the day, if that's true, then God wills sin. And he doesn't. Things happen, a lot of bad things happen as a result of sin. God doesn't ordain sin, therefore, he doesn't ordain all the bad things that happen. Okay, we have authority that we are not exercising. Now I say we, I'm speaking of the church at large. We're going to start exercising it here at Living Word. And so we're going to speak to the cancer in Larry Millis's body tonight. We're going to speak to Larry Millis's body tonight. We're going to speak to, to Jenny Goods. Uh, body tonight. We're going to speak to Nancy's uh, uh, and uh, Judy. And we can speak to you. You speak to yourself, as a matter of fact, while we're in the middle of this. And I do if we can just play something. And I will pray... And you, can, you don't have to be just listening to me. You can be speaking to yourself. I'll do that sometimes in praise and worship. Something will come up in my heart that I just got to deal with. Maybe it's something physical. Maybe it's something just getting my heart right about something. I always pray for a fresh infilling of the Spirit right before I get in behind the pulpit. All right? Uh, but let's do be in agreement. Okay? So I guess, yeah, listen to what I'm praying. But as we, as maybe as we continue singing, uh, just I'm, I, I'm not going to lay hands on you. I want you to recognize that the price has already been paid. The miraculous might be the instant manifestation, but it's not God deciding to heal you right now. He decided to heal you 2,000 years ago. He decided to heal you before the foundation of the earth. The price was paid 2,000 years ago. Amen? So let's pray. Thanks for listening. We hope that this message encouraged and equipped you in your walk with Christ.